What is going on? Bar down breakdown. And tonight we are joined by our homie Adam from Orthodox, Nashville, Tennessee. New metal, heavy as hell, as you are hearing. Hopefully you're listening listening to this at like 6.30 in the morning on your way to work and you're just like ready to go. It's that hype-up music. <laughs> it yeah. is that hype-up. Sometimes you just need that like on a Monday morning just to get the blood flowing. Just rip your face off just heavy-ass music. I always feel weird when I'm going to any job where I know I have to like maintain a social like norm face to have that like big ramp up of like get your blood going so your brain works and then you just have that abrasive stop of like okay now i have to just be a stiff so yeah exactly (laughs) it's so funny because i'm a fifth grade teacher and there are many mornings where i pull into the like teacher parking lot just blasting music because that really does like wake me up that's like my coffee and Sometimes teachers are just like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm like, music is meant to be listened to loud. I'm sorry. I'm mm-hmm. not just going to be like, I'm not putting on elevator music. I don't put just like music on in the background. Like I'm getting into it. And that's, that's just kind of uh, my take on it. It works. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a realtor here and uh, pulling up to showings every now and then having like, if I'm listening to hip hop really loud or like when I first started showing houses i was when we were really looking into like the mixes for this this last record and so i'd be pulling up with that just cranked and i remember pulling up and i didn't realize one of these clients was kind of like an end call where i hadn't met them they just were referred to me and it was this very kind woman and her four kids and i was like oh that's not them she wouldn't bring her four kids on the showing and it was ended up they're great but i was like i pulled up like man i wonder how they felt about hearing that just at full volume beside them. So yeah, one of those awkward situations where you have to like explain your way out of your taste to make them believe you're a normal person. It's yeah. Great. <laughs> but truthfully, like when I'm trying to listen to a band for the first time, I have to listen in my car. Like if I try to listen on my phone or on the computer, it doesn't do it justice. Like mm-hmm. I need the full like sound system and I'm not saying like I have a, a hoopty or anything like that where I have like a pimped out ride, but just like the, the premium audio in my car, I have to have that to get the full effect. I love that. I have too many different speaker systems in my house. So I just do a lot of stuff in my house, but. Touche. So Adam, thanks for joining. Let's just jump right into it, man. You're yeah. about to freaking head out on the road for like over a month mm-hmm. and you're leaving Mar- uh, February 7th, 8th and heading out uh, until March 18th. Yep. We leave the night of Wednesday, the 8th. Um, first show is on the 9th in Tampa and then we'll be home. Last show is here at home and uh, on uh, March 18th. So. Hell yeah. So Justin, why don't you jump right in and get those tour questions in? Cause he's a, He's a road dog himself, so all right. I so I'm gonna say that first night on tour is gonna be absolutely bananas because Tampa right now probably has one of the best scenes for metal and hardcore, like hands down. They do um, 
they do uh Florida is it Florida FL Fest every yeah. year down there and uh there was at one point someone just like in the pit punched a hole through the wall and punched somebody on the other side of the wall. Um and it's this venue that it's this venue called Noise Box, uh convicted mm-hmm. printing uh runs it. I don't know if you've ever played there before. I haven't, but I've heard of it. So they had a they have a, this small venue which is literally the size of a classroom. And wait, is the is the print shop in the back? No, the print shop is like down the street, like it's in a, a different part of town. It didn't it isn't in the same like strip as a gas station, is it like a circle K? No, no. So this was not, and it's an actual church. The venue is, is like a oh, full on church. No, I have not played there. Okay. So, so they, um, it's, it is, it's the funniest thing too, because like the, they, they'll, for this fest specifically, they'll do, they have a smaller venue, which is literally the size of like a classroom and it's called hole in the wall. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever because we've played there before. And before we played, it was called hole in the wall. And then the next time we played, there was a, an actual hole through the wall which i thought was just perfect for everything yep. that it was and i think they even had like uh, uh we are 68 played a set in there too okay um which is just a two-piece the chariot basically yep. and um and then they have the main venue which is literally like a church hall um and i think that's kind of like how i was so used to listening to all these bands growing up um and especially every time I talk to someone from Nashville who's like really big in the metal scene, I always bring up a plea for purging because I played with them all the time. Down okay. every time they played in Florida, every time they came down, we always played with them in my old band. That's amazing. And Those um, are some good buddies of mine, I love that. They're, dude, they're the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And uh, but so they'll do this whole hardcore fest, and everything will just get completely turned over kids are getting spin kicked in the face and it's just a great time and then right when the concert's done they just set up everything for the church which is literally the next day on sunday it is the weirdest thing i've ever seen in my life but uh but yeah tampa's tampa's gonna be a fun one for you guys and i think in orlando i looked it up you guys are playing one of our newer venues which Uh, one it got moved oh it did where did it get moved to got moved to level 17 which yes. i think is just soundbar but a new name yeah it's so soundbar ended up closing the original location they're now going to become a star wars tiki bar yeah i'm kind of upset okay. about that and um they moved to what was then Hanal center and now they have like they rented out this huge it's essentially a dance hall that they're turning into like a music venue. So that one's going to be a super interesting layout for you guys. When you guys come to Orlando, okay. I haven't yeah, seen we, it in person yet. Yeah. We just, we just did the Hanau center when we were there back in, we were there on either October or November with that burials boundaries tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that room is pretty cool, but I'm interested to see what sound bar. I liked the room. I hated that you could yeah. smoke indoors and made it kind of hard to breathe. But uh, aside from that, like the venue is always really cool. And so I'm interested to see what this new one's going to be. But yeah, you're, you're definitely right about Tampa. Like we are, we've got some of the crazier sets we've played in the last five years have been at the at Crowbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I even had a promoter come up to me. He's like, yeah, I don't know that I've ever booked anyone that had that many legitimately broken noses in one set. And I was like, I don't Perfect. know if that's a good, like, I don't know how I should feel about that. Cause they're probably 
not super happy right now, but mm -hmm. I'm the reason, I don't know. It was just, it's an interesting place to be in, but it's still kind of a weird <laughs> bragging point. Cause it's like, if you weren't hurt, you saw it happen. You're like, that shit's cool. And for some reason, that's what we celebrate in our scene. And it's, yeah, I don't know, but Dude, that's, that's one of those things that, that you would just for like those specific shows, you would just print a shirt that just says like Orthodox Nashville, Tennessee. I broke my nose at this show. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, literally. <laughs> People would just buy the hell out of it just because That's, you know the band uh, Momentum. Yeah, have you seen the shirt? They they had this big controversy where they got in a scuffle and gun talk got brought up at one point, and so they printed a shirt that they've now run to the ground. But the design is hilarious, and literally the front of it is just this ridiculous pistol with like a laser and a scope, and it has like a little like you know how when you're looking at the mall of a map. It yeah. says the you are here. It says you are here. It says momentum. And then the back says, I went to a momentum show and all I got was a gun pulled on me. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty par for the course for a lot of these kind of like DIY style hardcore venues. And I mean, I, I, I like to tell everybody because I, I grew up in Miami during the Eulogy Records era. So oh, wow. um, a lot of the bands that you're actually playing with at Shred Bash this year um, I don't know if I'm kind of like doing a spoiler alert or anything, but it, Shred Bass is just, you know, if for anybody who doesn't know, Furnace Fest is putting it on. It's a bunch of just hardcore metal bands. If you're in the area of Birmingham, go to it because you're going to get to see with Blood Comes Cleansing, Walls of Jericho, yeah. uh, With Honor, Vane FM. It's going to be yeah nuts. And Hatebreed's playing it too. I hope I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to drop this early, but I know they dropped... Uh, We'll see. Some show before, but Hatebreed, Norma Jean, Walls of Jericho, tons of bands I listened to when I was. Plea for Purging up. is also playing Furnace Fest. Yes, that so, was a huge announcement. I am, I am very, very, very excited uh, to just jog in place to the Plea for Purging songs, like it's two thousand and eight. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because I think this is the only the second time I've ever brought up a Plea for Purging on this podcast. The last time I brought him up was when. Justin from Idle Threat was on. Okay. Yeah, Andy actually did a guest spot on the last song, or second to last song on our last record. Not this newest one, but the one before. Um, mainly because we wrote the part, and I was like, this literally sounds like it's from uh, Depravity. Yeah. So we, I asked him to do it, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. And he got in the studio. We were hanging out. I was like, dude, he's like, I haven't yelled in like seven years. And I was like, <laughs> we're going to see if it still works. And Go for it. crushed it, but did he actually make hamburgers too. So that was what I was about to bring up. Is Bad Luck Burger is fucking amazing. Like, literally, it's so funny how that how quickly that took off, and also just how great the food is. Like, it's literally he's he's found his calling. It's great. So let's uh, we'll we'll kind of like go back to to this tour with Gideon. You know that you guys have coming up and and for the fallen dreams. We were kind of talking like a little bit before the podcast. Like, um, you know, I haven't. I haven't heard of For the Fallen Dreams in so long just because mm -hmm. I've been so far removed from, you know, the the hardcore metal scene for for such a little bit of time. Um, you know, how did you guys link up with with Gideon and For the Fallen Dreams and kind of get on this show? So this tour? Uh, Gideon is a bunch of really old friends. They mm -hmm. actually they all live in Nashville now. Um, but Tyler Riley, their guitarist, actually was the guitarist in a band called As Hell Retreats. Mm -hmm. um and they were the first band that ever took me on tour back when i was like a freshman in high school they took me out like just to 
sell merch and see what shows in other cities looked like for like a week or half a week, whatever it was. And so I've known him forever. And um, yeah, they were booking a headliner and they just, we, they just asked us to be on it. Cause we had, we've ironically, as long as we've been friends with those the Gideon guys, we've never played a show with them. So it just worked out that we were available and they, they hit us up. And um, so that's how that one all came about. But um, in terms of like what you're saying with for the fallen dreams, I feel like that's kind of like what a lot of people, cause they haven't been super active. I feel like in like the, even the metalcore side of things and they're sort of yeah. leaning towards like writing some really hooky stuff. It's not as um, like heavy melodic. as it once was. Or yeah, melodic I wouldn't even, it's just a very different style. Like it's just, it's not the same as it, it's not the same as it was like relentless and changes were. Yeah. But um, they're kind of le- leaning into a similar style to how Gideon nowadays does a lot of like hip hop influence, really modern Limp Biscuit, metalcore Limp Biscuit essentially. Yeah. Is what the, the new Gideon stuff sounds like. But, um, they're leaning towards that kind of side of things. And so I'm very interested to see how they pull that off live. I think, I think it should be pretty sweet. I I think it's cool. Like seeing this kind of like resurgence of, of new metal influenced or just new metal influence in a lot of the bands that we're listening to today, Mm -hmm. because all these bands at some point in time, like we were talking earlier in the show, like before the podcast, how you were such a big fan of system of a down, it's cool seeing how these bands influenced a lot of the musicians that are now kind of saying like, well, fuck it. I want to, I want to play something like this. I want to play something like, you know, life is peachy by corn. How do they get that? Like just deep, just tone. It was just so janky and just so heavy or like even like system of a down, like some of the older stuff and seeing that resurgence of new metal into like this, like new scene that's coming out. So it's kind of cool. Like hearing how these bands are taking those influences and, and bringing it about again. Yeah. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head is that like everyone that's now at the age of being in the constant rotation of writing the music and touring on it are the kids who grew up when Lincoln park was on the radio. So like, Mm -hmm. it's just what I grew up. I I listened to new metal long before I knew hardcore existed. Yeah. So that's just kind of what, if you really look back into like the early, early Orthodox stuff, we were basically like if foundation played really fast. And then when it came to write an LP, we were kind of stumped because we were finding hard to find inspiration towards stuff. And me and um, Tyler Williams, who was the original guitarist for the band just ended up writing a bunch of like really heavily influent, heavily new metal influence stuff, because that's just what we grew up listening to. And that's what Mm -hmm. we wanted to play. And so I think that's kind of what, is happening is all the kids that like got made fun of for loving Slipknot and dressing like a freak and, you know, loving corn, all that kind of stuff are now like, Hey, I get to say what's kind of cool now. So this shit yeah. rocked. Uh, if you don't like it, I don't need you here. And that's kind of how the mentality of it is, I guess, blossomed into something a little bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think with like the resurgence of like not fest and, you know, all these different kind of like, new metal or just metal centric festivals that are coming out. We're seeing mm-hmm. kind of like this influence, even with Limp Bizkit coming back and playing like Riot Fest and that whole album yeah. that they put out was just so good and hearing like, um, like wait a second. Limp, Limp Bizkit is back. Yeah. Yeah. They've already done a tour. <laughs> They've already done a full tour <laughs> with, with, uh, with Dying Wish. 
I did I not know that. They they toured with uh, not the original Snot, but with like the new like I guess mm-hmm. he's like a hip hop artist Snot. Yeah. Um, yeah. They uh, they came out. It was like late last year. They came out with um, uh, still. It was literally called Lim Biscuit Still Sucks. Yep. <laughs> like the lead and, single uh, was called Dad Vibes. Yeah. And it was. I think we were like. It was funny because it came out around the same time when we were doing uh, Bar Down Fest last year when we were on tour with like Crease Rule and everyone. Uh, that's all we were jamming the entire time we were in the van. So there's like videos of, of TikTok of us just like vibing out to Dad Vibes uh, the entire time we're driving over like the Harry Nice Bridge in Virginia. <laughs> yep, that's sick. <laughs> I'm out of the loop. <laughs> I can't. I, it's it's great. Like I can understand missing like the For the Fallen Dream single, but you missed the return of Limp Biscuit. Like that's kind of nuts. That's not out of the loop. Like you're in a different shape. That's insane. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm also the pop punk guy of the podcast. Okay, I do see the fireworks. The the fireworks. Uh, poster oh yeah, one of my favorites. Sense, but yeah, yeah. Sure. Tom Tom, our other co-host, and I are. are are a little bit like I I play in a pop punk band, but I I this is what I always tell everybody. I'm like pop punk is just hardcore kids that kind of kind of gave up on hardcore and wanted to play something a little bit more like melodic and fun. Sure. Because um, literally, if I just take all our songs, put it in the minor key, and play it a little bit faster, it's a hardcore song. That's literally <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still think uh, "Enemy of the World" by Four Year Strong is one of the craziest records ever written. So oh, absolutely. Like if anyone who talks shit on that record, I'm like, okay, cool. Try to play it. <laughs> try to play it. Now try to play it and sing a three part harmony while you do it. And then kiss my ass because now you're, you see why you were wrong like that. It is literally crazy. Um, so I was like, let me just circle back to, to, you know, so we, we talked about the tour and I know you guys just put out um, learning to dissolve last August. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how's kind of like the the uh, the reception been for for the album? Like it's it's fast, it's in your face, it's it's everything that I wanted from what I loved about like Culture Killer and Advent, like put together in like this like weird Ooh. hodgepodge of a band that it's like I was like listening to it. I'm like, all right, this is good. Like this, it has like what I like from metal, but it also has what I also like from all these old hardcore bands that I like grew up to. Yeah, I've not ever been compared to advent or culture killer and that's oh, pretty cool so i'll take first that. time for everything with um me. yeah no uh so reception that was what you asked I was like what did you just ask me um the reception of the record has been um pretty cool i feel like we have a pretty established fan base at this point so like anytime we put anything out we're very fortunate in the sense that like it gets a lot of buzz which is amazing it's further on than i ever thought any music would get me, but um, I think what's been the more notable reception or the more notable um, reaction has just been the almost immediate difference in the energy that our live show has with these new songs incorporated. Mm -hmm. So like before we always did, we've always been like a weird band. It's just kind of, that's like what has been almost the brand of, of Orthodox is like, a lot of people pull from a lot of the same things we pull from, but we try to pull from it in different ways. And I guess you could say, yeah. and our live show has always been great. I, I, I say it on every podcast. Like I'm very fortunate that 
myself not included my actual band behind me is some of the best is one of the best doing it right now they're unbelievable musicians and to put that in, in with these newer songs and just kind of see how how much bigger the reaction is and how much more room there is for people to like openly you know interpret or move and interpret it however they want it's just been a, a very cool thing it was it was something we'd never experienced before to the degree where on this last tour we did with the varials we were just night after night like wow what the fuck is going on this is completely different than what we're used to <laughs> so it, it, it was cool to not have to fight to win people over for once i guess is the best way to put it nice yeah now adam i'm mm -hmm. i'm more of the the history guy and i just love to hear how bands get started and why you kind of you know why people latch on to this certain type of music that they play and you know being from nashville i think that's kind of a unique circumstance so i guess you know walk us through you know those formative years when you started getting into this alternative music and why you decided to like sing in a band and and kind of tell us your your story so formative in terms of alternative music is traced back to two pretty specific things um one day my neighbor so basically i grew up where my backyard was like this big open field like where this guy literally like farmed and rolled hay and all this different stuff on the other side of the field was uh my neighbors and they uh were going to six flags with me and my mom and before we even got out of the driveway she's like what do you guys want to listen to and one of the two boys that was with us was probably six or seven years older than me he pops in hybrid theory and I'd never heard anything like that in my life. Like it literally was just like immediately paper cut comes on and it goes into the verse. We get like halfway through that verse and my mom stops it and says, this sounds like prison music. We're not listening to this while I'm driving. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then the next thing that really kind of took the reins was Tony Hawk pro skater. Yep. So, you know, just the, the overall just vast scope of alternative music and every facet from punk to hip hop, rock metal, everything that's there is included on their soundtracks. And I found, I mean, that's where I heard system of a down for the first time. Um, all, all sorts of different stuff came from that. So that, that piqued the interest. And then around the time that all of that really was starting to really like hone in in my brain was when MySpace became a thing. And so I could go find other bands on that, listen to their music on their profile and, you know, download it illegally. And my mom didn't really want me to have it. So I would name it name Slipknot, like a different artist on iTunes. Like <laughs> it was just trying to hide it. But um, that's, that's essentially where that all started um, in terms of wanting to sing for a band. I'm actually, my first instrument is drums. It's what I've always played. Uh, and, but one of the, my favorite things when I started going to hardcore shows was like, everybody singing along to other people like just piling on singing on singing along mm -hmm. with the singer and i've always written lyrics um longer than i've been playing drums but so the idea was like oh it'd be really cool if like one day people wanted to like sing along to something that i was singing versus just being the guy behind the drum set and yeah uh opportunity came about where these two guys named uh michael and josh had this little hardcore project they were trying people out for to be the singer and he lived down the road, so I went and did it, and that's where Orthodox started. So, so were you already like very involved in the Nashville like hardcore scene, and 
alternative music scene or kind of that was like your introduction to it? I'd been I've been playing shows in bands in Nashville probably four or five years before Orthodox started. Um, So I I was pretty involved. I wouldn't say I was as involved as I am now, Um, but just because that's kind of what happens when you start. I I book a lot of shows in Nashville as well um, under AM PM booking. And so that is as involved as I could possibly get, I feel like. But uh, the aside from that, I would say being a teenager, I was at every single show I could possibly go to, you know, every weekend I'd try to find something to go, something to go mosh to basically was like what I wanted to do. So yeah, I was, I was very involved from a show goer standpoint at that, at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for, you know, doing this show for as long as we have, you know, we have talked with a, a bunch of people from Nashville and pretty much, everyone has said like the hardcore and metal scene in Nashville is like top notch where, you know, some of the pop punk bands from Nashville find it a little hard to, to find kind of places to play that will take on like pop punk bands when really the, the metal and hardcore scenes just taking over. Uh, I would say, I mean, we do have free throw, so Oh yeah. They're taking over the world. But I mean, um, I, I think a lot of that has to do with, I don't really know any pop punk bands in Nashville. And it used to be that, I mean, the pop punk and hardcore scenes were very similar, um, in terms of their, the people that were going, but I feel like because the genres have started going in even further different directions to where now, like back when I was really into pop punk, it was like, Four Year Strong, Wonder Years, Such Gold, you know, Fireworks, Latin for Truth, bands that still had like very obvious hardcore elements. And now I feel like that hardcore element from what I hear is not quite there. So I feel like the the, the uh, demographics are a bit different than they were. Um, but in that, in terms of finding shows in Nashville, yeah, I, I don't know much about the local pop punk scene. I know that the Nashville hardcore shows do really well just because we have a venue called the end um, and it's the perfect layout for a hardcore show. And, you know, whether it's myself putting on the show or legacy concerts or whomever, like we, it's just a really good supportive scene. And it's exactly what you want out of a hardcore scene that everybody shows up and just beats the living shit out of each other, but nobody takes it personally. Like everyone just laughs it off and has a good time. And from a musician standpoint, we have, you know, Orthodox is really great, but we also have like chamber, who are just every time I watch them play a show, I don't want to play my instrument anymore because they're so talented or one that's not as well known, but is another situation where just will literally blow your mind is this band called Yaucha. Um, they're just like a three piece dark black metal type thing. I don't even know what you would call it. Honestly, <laughs> it's just so it's so weird and they are just so unbelievably talented that it just makes you sick. And, uh, yeah, like there's just there's a plethora of really good musicians in Nashville, no matter what. So that obviously bleeds over into the Nashville hardcore metal scene. But I can't speak too much to like the difficulty for the pop punk side, because I I've, I've never played in a pop punk band, but I played drums in a band called Daisy Head at one point. And oh, yeah, when I when that was first taken off was when Better Off was just getting started. And that band is, you know, 
the the Nashville, like everyone in Nashville loves Better Off. It's basically, basically how it goes. No matter where you stand, like Better Off is one of everyone's favorite bands here. And they, of course, every member in that band has other bands as well. But I don't know that that falls under pop punk as much as my brain might think it does because all those kids at one point were in pop punk bands. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm kind of just rambling at this point because I don't really know much about it. So, <laughs> were were you in Daisy Head in 2019? No, I was okay. the original drummer. So I the first EP and the split with Have Mercy were the songs that I was on. Okay, I was about to say I'm like we would I think we would have played a show together then because I think I played with Daisy Head in 2019 when they toured and they came what, down to Orlando. What band are you with? Out of time. Okay. Wait. Okay. Sorry. My brain went, isn't there was a hardcore band called out of time. Uh, yeah, but they're out of time. We're like the, the license plate for back to the future. Out of time. Okay. That's sick. Okay. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> I'll have to listen. Yeah. To that. that sounds great. I was like, yeah, we played it with, uh, I remember we played with Daisy head in 2019. I don't think my old band played with them, but, um, but going back to like just Tennessee in general, um, like, cause how, how long have you kind of like been involved in like the music scene in Tennessee overall? My first show was, I, it was the day after Valentine's Day. That's why I remember this February 15th, <laughs> 2008. And it was Haste the Day, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Scary Kids, Scaring Kids, Gwen Stacy, oh, and Gwen As Stacey. Hell Retreats. Okay. So I've been going to shows constantly since then. That's just kind of yeah. like, yeah. that's that's how far back it goes for me being involved from that standpoint. Uh, I started playing in bands. I was, let's see, I would have been 15 then or 14 then going on 15. So I think about a year and a half later is when I started playing in bands at shows. Yeah. So since I was 15 or 16 years old. So you were around for, for kind of like the, the formative years of like um, Whitechapel, you were kind of around for like Tony Danza, Tap Dance Extravaganza. Oh, yeah. Uh, like some of those bands from like the other side of Tennessee, even like the Alabama side of, of kind of everything. Um, what, what kind of like, how was the scene like back then? Cause I only saw, I've seen these bands in like, I don't know, kind of like slightly larger venues, but I can, I can't imagine seeing like Tony Danza's Tap Dance Extravaganza in like, a small type of venue. It was scary for different reasons. Like deathcore back then was like the most just deliberately and honestly corny way, like hateful. I'm going to fuck you up no matter what yeah. scene. And between Danza and Whitechapel, there's not a lot of bands that are heavier than them, especially like prosthetic fluid or sorry, somatic defy somatic yeah. defilement era. Whitechapel and I didn't get to see a lot of them in smaller rooms but I did see them one time at this venue called the muse here in Nashville and when I talk about this place I literally think back I'm like I as a teenager I should not have been at that venue like it I should not have been there it was shut down constantly because of the cops finding whatever illegal thing happening or they found like a literal body on the other side of the fence Um, and there's a strip club right on the other side of the bridge and behind it is Miranda's, uh, the world's largest adult bookstore, like should not have been there. Yeah. That's Um, that's where hardcore venues or metal venues are normally are. Yeah. I mean, literally I'm talking, I saw a guy get stabbed there during recon, like that kind of shit happening. But I got to see Whitechapel. I'm, we're talking a couple months after this is exile had come out. Um, 
on tour with Suffocation. Yeah. It was like Whitechapel, it was Suffocation, Whitechapel, and then Decrepit Birth and mm. Veil of Maya. Ooh. And that Veil was of Jason Maya. Richardson, Veil of Maya, too. It was right after, um, what was that first LP? Common Man's Collapse or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Right after that came out. And during Veil of Maya alone, there's like eight fights. And by the way, this venue is four of this bedroom that I'm sitting in right now. Yeah, like 1,200 square feet tops. I'm talking, yeah, I <laughs> if, if. And it's all black. The floors, the, the walls, the ceiling, all black. Strobe the lights. Stage, yeah, the stage is about three and a half, four feet tall. And it's a small stage. And they cram like four, five hundred people in this room. Like it is unsafe. There's one exit point. Like it was, it was bad. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're just talking about the the room is this big, and your pit people are just just obliterating everybody. And of course, you know, stupid shit would happen. I don't know if y'all ever saw heard this band Kill Whitney Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I saw the singer just take a baseball bat and just toss it, just toss it in the middle of the room. Yep, and people just start like swinging a bait, like so shit like that happened in that venue. It just was, it was literally like the the seed of violence is what that room was. And every fight I can remember getting into happened at that place. Like it was just, it was, it's a shock that I'm not a bigger piece of shit after having spent as much time as I did in that place. But um, so I saw, you know, I got to see Whitechapel there. I got to see Danza there a couple times. Um, and the rooms were, it was just scary for different reasons. And I would probably feel different going to it now. Yeah. Uh, at the age that I am, but being 14 and just these like 20 year old dudes, just whoop, like just, just, just annihilating people. You just, just feel jumping over that moment. Say what? You just feel like invincible. You're just like, I could do this. I don't even know about that, man. I felt. <laughs> It was one of those things where you like barely enjoy the show because you're just like, I can't even really watch this band. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm not facing here, I'm fucked. Get kicked in the face. Yeah, like literally, they're moshing with with brass knuckles on and just Ooh. the stupidest shit. And so, yeah, it was it was a very different time. Um, and it's really it's really cool because that was the first time I ever got to see Whitechapel was in that tiny room. Yeah. And then we just got to play with them on, for their Christmas show back at the in on December 22nd of this last year. Yeah. And so getting to play, play with them in this like 1200 cap venue, I was like, this is a pretty big difference uh, from the first time. And I was even talking to one of the members that was like in the band from back then. I was like, yeah. Uh, do you ever remember playing the muse? He goes, were you there? I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're still alive. Yeah. So, <laughs> Like, I I didn't get to see them a ton in their small room era because even in that tour, like, I apparently the walkout between them and Suffocation was, like, Phil Bozeman was like, don't you fucking leave before Suffocation. And I was like, I'm going to leave because I don't know who that is. But, <laughs> like, they they were definitely, like, the, the blowing up band of that moment. So it was really cool to see them before they could never play a, a room that small again. Nice. So... It's funny that you even you kind of like bring up like the the deathcore era, um, just how violent it was back in the day too. Because uh, in Miami, we we had like a pretty like solid deathcore and hardcore lineup. We had Thick as Blood. We had um, oh yeah, 
we had uh well earlier like 10 years earlier than thick as blood we had like poison the well and we had um oh god i can't even remember half these bands anymore thick as blood was probably ec- extra dangerous because they were the the hardcore band in the deathcore world yes and um i remember uh Suicide Silence came down and they played in a room about the same size as the room that you were just talking about. Yep. And uh just like cleansing era. Yes. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. It would have been like 2006, 2007. And um some someone got into a fight and a security guard comes out and he just decides to spray mace to break up the oh. fight. Yeah. So someone okay. hits the mace up and it sprays into the intake vents of the venue. So mace is getting sprayed on top of everybody in the venue. So 18, 19 year old Justin is just covered in mace, can't see, can't feel anything. And I wander into the lobby of the of the the venue because it was like a it was like a like a community theater is what it was. And I don't know mm-hmm. why they decided to Put a deathcore band in there. I think we Drop Dead Gorgeous even played in that same room, that. and um, I couldn't see anything, so I just I couldn't figure out how to get out. So I picked up the only thing I found, which was a table, and I launched it through the front window just so I could get out because it, my 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 whole body was burning. It was just like all my pores were just closing up, like it was just like pure suffocation. And uh, paramedics had to come and literally like delouse us with like a chemical spray to get all the oh face off. Oh my god! <laughs> What's funny is I feel like I've heard this story from somebody else who was on that tour. Yeah, probably. I don't. I don't, I don't know who it would have been, but I've heard the story of Florida and the entire venue getting maced. I've heard that story from two different. I've heard from there, and then a buddy of mine who saw like a King Eight One Zero show in Flint, and that kind of thing happened. But like, it was all shall perish in like the city. There were the other bands that were playing. Man, who would that have been? I can't think of who it would have been, but <laughs> I've heard that story before. That's crazy. And um, the only other story I have since you brought up Recon, I always love telling this story anytime someone brings up Recon because I feel like not a lot of people that I associate myself with know about recon mm-hmm. the same thing it was in miami and it was uh we we don't have a lot of venues in miami so this one was at a um, mariachi club <laughs> and it was like in, in yeah, homestead miami it was like it's like a, a very like uh like just a, it's literally just a mexican <laughs> central american area and um it, it was a mariachi club and they had a whole dance floor with like one metal pole in the middle of the dance club. So it was just literally just, that was the whole pit and uh recon comes up. They were, op- they were opening for a muir. That's who it was. Okay. And uh recon recon goes, uh, we don't want any barriers between us and the pit. And they had this like ornate wooden fence that was like very intricate. That kind of like separated the stage from mm-hmm. the crowd. And they just go, tear this shit down so like it was a whole bunch of just angry 19 20 year old kids grabbed this pet, like fence that was literally just hand carved into the like the stage and just pop it off like it was just like a lego piece and i was just like we're getting out where's our guarantee we're out <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy yeah it was holy shit and i i think about those days and i was like god i was a fucking delinquent back then you don't realize it when you're in it. 
no the kind of shit you're doing like i look back like my, my glory days at the music i was talking about i'm like man i don't know how i wasn't arrested <laughs> for how many times the police showed up to that place and they just like i just walked away like that's fucking crazy <laughs> so so i know i know before we get into the the five minute long ad read that mikey's getting ready to do all I'm right sweating over here how, thinking about it how did how did you guys get hooked up with uh century media uh mike gitter uh saw us play at chain reaction in 2020 um early early 2020 um we were on tour with a band called spite mm-hmm. and varials and i am and we play chain reaction. He comes up to me and he's like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm Mike Kidder. I work for, uh, I work for century media. I was like, Oh word. It's like, yeah, I, my job is I'm a and R. So like I, I sign bands, you know, that's kind of what I do. I really enjoy what you guys did. So on and so forth. I was like, Oh, badass man. Thanks so much. Yeah. And he, you know, kind of started courting us from there. Just like getting in contact with our manager. Uh, we had a couple phone calls where I grilled them because I'd heard about century media being a shit storm. And I was like, Hey, I was like, so is this any better? Or is it still just an absolute uh, terrible place to be? And he told me about how everything that needed to line up to make it better did. And that summer, while we're all just sitting on our asses trying to not get sick, he sent us an offer and we signed on. And ironically enough, we didn't even announce it until a year and two months later when we were about to go on that tour with the Acacia strain, we, we dropped a single and we're like, Hey, by the way, we signed with century media last year. Uh, here's a new song and we'll see you in a little bit. So nice. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's just really cool. Kind of like even just being on that roster of just alumni that they have, it's just like, so it's so extensive. Like you have, I mean, like more recent bands kind of like Jesus peace, but you know, they also have like these old kind of just bands. Like who does, uh, yeah. Napalm death was on there or is still on there. Yep. Mayhem's uh, on there. They put a they put a Buck Cherry record out, <laughs> so that's a cool one. Uh, I know that Marauder had an album come out with uh, Century Media. Um, yeah, they're even had one. Yep, I mean it. Literally, the list goes on, and that's kind of the cool part. I think that was a big appeal for us. Is I feel like a lot of people anticipated us to try to find a way to like. Uh, yeah, well. Maybe not Metal Blade so much as I think a lot of people expected us to try to end up with, you know, Close Casket or Pure yeah. Noise or um, um, Eulogy or, or Hopeless. All these, other, all these other, like, a little bit younger labels. And mm-hmm. we kind of thought, oh, well, I don't think anybody expects us to end up on a, like, straight up metal label. And so when we started talking with them, that was kind of like one of the big appeals to us was that the label itself was about older than we are at this point and yeah it has like a true history um and yeah it, it's been it's been awesome honestly it's one of those things where i feel like a lot of times people will see us because we aren't i think one of the appeals of us to my to mike getter and to century was that they have really nothing like us on the label and so people will see us and then they see like our shirts and we've got the logo on the back or something and they're like you guys are on century media I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually. So, um, yeah, I it, it was just really cool, just like kind of seeing that, and then I'm just like I'm trying to remember, like I know Suicide Silence was on there, Suicide mm-hmm. Tendencies were on there, and just like thinking of like just this whole alumni of just bands that were on there, it's just like really cool to kind of see 
your name on there with like these legends in the metal scene. It's just really cool. Yeah. And they've got, they're actually, they're, they've got some really awesome up and comers too. I mean, Sanguasugabog is unstoppable right now. Uh, Frozen Soul has been kicking ass and forced. They just signed Jesus piece up. Like they're definitely planting some really promising seeds. Like it's, it's going to be, I'm very interested to see where Century Media is in the next like three years. Mm-hmm. Nice. Hell yeah. Well, that is a perfect time to talk about draft games. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to say you can play your Raycom headphones in. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go DraftKings. So, are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 bonus bets instantly. Plus, all new customers can get in on the Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boost. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. to see the prop bet and see what prop bet will be boosted. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And this time of year, everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time, pretty unrealistic. I've actually found that the smallest changes to your routine can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make big deal purchases. Even the smallest things can be part of a big change if it's something you use every day, like my Raycons. Raycon is premium audio at a perfect price, so you can build great habits without break of the bank. Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon's got you covered. And yep, Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands. So you don't have to choose between products. You can get one of each or a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. Even if you know you'll love your even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycon wants to make sure you feel great about your purchase. They offer buy now and pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. So Ready to buy something small with a big impact? Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15% off at buyraycon.com slash THPN. I do need to get one of those like speed readers to just come and do that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just fly off. through it. Yep. But you yeah. Should make your, you should make your guests read the ad. That'd be I funny. Should. They, they will never come back on this podcast. <laughs> hey, by the way, make our revenue for us. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let, let's let's dive into a little hockey talk because, uh, you know, I'm trying to, to kind of guess your age, but I'm, I'm guessing, you know, late 20s, maybe early 30s. And you must have been really, really young when the Preds came to town. And I remember – like the Preds coming to, you know, to the NHL. And I was probably in sixth or seventh, sixth or seventh grade and walking through like a Macy's or a Sears. 
like one of those big department like stores and seeing the Preds jersey for the first time because it was like the new expansion team. So like they had them everywhere mm-hmm. and I had no clue where like even Nashville was. I had no idea why it was like the skeleton logo or anything mm-hmm. like that. So like, I guess walk me through that excitement when you were really, really young when the, when the team came to town. Uh, I mean, truth Do you be even told, remember that. Yeah. Truth be told, I, it was not until I was a little older that I didn't like, I, I kind of just, they just were there by the time I was, they were a, a team forming when I was four or five years old. So like, I didn't conceive the fact that we were getting a hockey team. It was more like I learned about hockey and then the predators are our team. That's kind of like how that was. Um, so I didn't have a whole lot of attachment to them. You know, when I would play like the NHL games and such, I would always be the Preds and I would, you know, make sure Tom Fitzgerald scored 100 goals, which was, you know, about 90 away from what actually was happening. But, you know, <laughs> I, it, it's I, I, I still remember, you know, Mike Dunham, Thomas Bocoon, uh, you know, I'd say I remember it's it's not Steve Sullivan, is it? I'm not our sure. First captain's name. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, I still remember, you know, Scott Walker, a couple other players and so on. Um, but it, it wasn't like a huge part of my life until probably seven or eight years ago is when I really started getting into it. So I've done a lot of backtracking and so on to learn the history. But, um, in terms of when I was younger, it wasn't, I didn't really understand what, what the significance of the expansion team and so on was. Okay, so was it like that first real deep playoff run that got you hooked? Or can can you think back to a specific moment that got you hooked on the Preds? It wasn't so much a specific moment. I actually, I just, I worked at a restaurant on Broadway in Nashville called Merchants. And it's on the corner of 4th and Broadway. And the arena where the Preds play is on the corner of 5th and Broadway. So it was a lot to do with, a lot of our clientele would come in, you know, right before the game and so on. And so I would start watching the games here and there um, as a, just while, while it was happening, because we'd have a big peak, get dead while the game was happening. Then we'd have a pickup when it was done. And at one point, you know, I finally was starting to make a decent amount of money working at a good restaurant. So Preds tickets back in the day were cheap. Like pre-cut Preds tickets were very, very cheap. I mean, they still are in comparison to like, the Habs or the, or the Maple Leafs, you know, any team in Canada or anywhere in New York, it is still very cheap, but I'm talking, they had a thing called the golden ticket on the Preds app where if I woke up and like was looking at my phone at 9am and clicked the button fast enough, I could get two tickets for $30 and it would be like balcony seats, but it would be like lower, lower of the upper bowl. And the, what's cool about Bridgestone arena is that it wasn't built originally for it was built more so with the longevity in mind of concerts. So the arena is built up as opposed to out, which is part of the reason why it's so loud is yeah. the acoustics are, are incredible there. But um, on, in that sense, like I've literally sat the actual last row, like farthest you can go um, in the series where we swept the Blackhawks. I was actually, I was at game three and we're talking very last row behind um home goal and you can still see everything perfectly like there's just not a bad seat in the house so 
with that, you get a great ticket uh, to go see a team that at the, at the time was beginning to really pick up. We had, you know, just traded for, well, I guess I saw a couple of games before we traded for Ryan Johansson, but we had, you know, Seth Jones and Roman Yossi was, was getting his, you know, touches here and there. Pecorine was in, you know, his peak form. We had Shea Weber, who was one of the scariest players to ever play the game. And then you've got, you know, around that time, shortly then after you have him being traded for PK Subban and mm. just all these different crazy things where the Preds were. What's funny is the Preds are even now a very boring hockey team to watch. Uh, it was still a very exciting time to be a Preds fan. So it's like a, that that's kind of right around the time that I started doing it was when I could afford to go and it just, it caught on. It was one of those things where, when I went and saw it for the first time as an adult with like just my friends and such, I was like, this is the craziest game I've ever seen in my life. Cause I'm a very athletic person. I've always been into sports. There's very little to do with hockey that I could actually do myself. And I think that's what like has fascinated me so much about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, working right over there, there's just like a buzz on game days. It, it's, so it's such a cool place to catch a hockey game. It, it the whole game day experience, especially you know I'm an Islander fan. You know, being an outsider and and taking that in for a road game is just one of the best I would imagine in the NHL. And it, it's kind of funny that you know they they built the arena arena for concerts. It, it makes you kind of think that that was kind of their like escape plan, right? Like if hockey didn't work at least the building would still be good for concerts. So I, I don't even, I may have my facts wrong here, but if I'm not mistaken, it was originally called, so I know it was originally called the Gaylord arena. And I don't think that hockey was the original plan. I think it was built because we needed an arena for concerts that was bigger than an amphitheater, but smaller than a stadium. And we didn't even have a stadium at the time because the Titans were, Actually, the Titans, I think, were the following year. Um, and so we we had nowhere for being Music City. We didn't have an arena, really, that people could go play that was 17,000 versus trying to shoot for amphitheater at 12 and a stadium at 60. Like there just wasn't that middle ground. Yeah. So I'm, if I'm, I'm pretty sure that Gaylord Arena was built for concerts. And it just so happened that they worked it out to introduce the Predators to, to working it in there. And now it's become the main source of revenue for them um, as the years have gone on. But uh, if it was a backup plan with hockey, I mean, it makes sense because we almost lost them like twice. It took the city coming together and being like, yo, don't take the team away from us. And then I think at that point, people started really showing up to the games. And the way I put it is that if you if you put a bunch of rednecks around a hockey game, then, of course, it's going to be the rowdiest crowd. So that's kind of. Yeah what the Nashville games are. And I also think that a lot of people's inexperience of hockey culture is what makes it so refreshing because I bet the majority of the people at those games haven't ice skated in 10 years, have never played hockey. A lot of them don't even really know the rules. They're just, they're just shouting just cause it's a sporting event. So like that just makes it all the more fun. And uh, it does get a little annoying every now and then when you're trying to focus on like an important game and somebody's screaming like, you know, that's slashing or that's tripping. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) Yell all you want. I don't care. And, but um, 
but yeah, the, the culture and the actual room and just like you said, the buzz on game day, especially, oh man, especially that cup run, it was next level. Like even the year before it, um, we were playing the Sharks and it was, it was postseason and I worked at the restaurant. I got off, but I stayed there to watch the game at the bar because I didn't want to go home and miss something because we had the game on the whole night and we were going into overtime. Well, I'm off now and I'm just standing at the bar watching the game and we go into double overtime. Well, now we're all the way closed and we have to leave. So what they were doing is they had a big screen outside of the arena. So I sat, went out and sat on the concrete with about 50, 60 other people and watched the third overtime and was there when we scored at like 1 a.m. Mike Fisher scores the game winning goal. And uh, I mean, from there, it was like, okay, cool, awesome celebrate now i'm gonna to walk to my car which is like a half mile up the road and it was everyone's honking their horns and screaming and it was it was so cool and it was very the next year when we realized we had something good uh that's when they started doing the whole thing with uh having the big there's this basically there's a hilton hotel right behind Bridgestone arena and there's this massive plaza that's like grass and all this stuff right basically between the two and so they've started putting during the playoffs these two massive screens and people who don't get tickets to the actual game just show up for the block party and sit outside and watch it. And it's something that I think a lot of teams are doing now that hasn't been, I don't know who originated it, but it, it hadn't, it wasn't a thing, you know, 10 years ago, but that was the first I'd experienced. It was the, the Nashville block party was you went out there and we're talking thousands of people with lawn chairs, just like watching these games. It was like, it was like, uh, tailgating during the hockey game out in the, the Hilton corridor. It was amazing. Yeah, that's sick. Now, do you, do you think, and I don't, this just came to me as you were talking, like, you know, the location of Bridgestone, and then you mentioned the Titans. It's literally, like, down Broadway, but then has you have to go over that bridge to get mm-hmm. to the Titan Stadium. Like, what happens if they flip-flopped? Like, the Titans were where Bridgestone arena was like, do you think the Preds would be as successful? Because like, at least when I was there, it was still football season, but everywhere I looked like was Pred stuff in all the bars. Like I didn't see anything about the Titans and it felt like it was a totally separate like city, even though it's like, you could see it from Broadway. I I think the big difference. So different. I think the big difference here's where I think that lies is that if you have the same, if you move the locations of the stadiums, but you have the same administrations. So like the, the office and the team behind the Preds is still that same team. I think it's the same. I think the reason you see predator stuff everywhere and not so much Titans is because the predators are very active in their community. Like they are all over the place. They're sending players to different restaurants. They're sending, doing a whole bunch of different charitable stuff, which the Titans do, but the Preds are just a lot better at being present. Present. Yeah, exactly. And approachable. Whereas also like the Titans have had owners that like people just despised, like nobody liked Bud Adams. That was like the thing is that was the issue. And now of course they've, they're going to have to build a new stadium um, which is going to be very expensive on all of us Nashvillians. Uh, and they're having to do that because they didn't upkeep Nissan Stadium to the degree that to do the proper maintenance that it would require for it to meet modern codes of arenas, 
would be only a couple million dollars more than building an entire new arena, new new stadium. So like we're now having to do that. Like it just the, the pride in the Titans has not been the same as the pride in the Preds, and I think it has a lot to do with the way that people perceive everyone behind the team. Um, and I think not only that, but also it helps that the Preds have been a lot better in for like the last, I don't remember how long it's been. It's been more, they've been more consistently good than the Titans. Yeah. I, we haven't missed the playoffs in eight or nine years. And the Titans after 2005, maybe have, who knows? That's kind of like how they are. And you know, that's unfortunate. And the same thing this year, we missed the playoffs again, even though at one point we were like the head of our division. So yeah, I think it has a lot to do with who's hot and when the predators definitely were hot at the moment that Nashville itself was booming, which helps a lot. Um, But I think, like I said, it has a lot to do with the actual administration behind the team and their community outreach and how, how they are, involved in everything that goes on in the actual city versus how the Titans handle it. They just have a better PR team. <laughs> yeah, that is well. We never had someone like we had multiple members on the Titans that were involved in like shootings in the city and like crazy things that we haven't had to deal with that PR uh nightmare for the Predators yet. We've had to yeah. deal with Mike Ribeiro who banged his babysitter or something like that. But you know, aside from that, you know, that's that's about as bad as it's gotten. Touche. So I, I guess, um, do you have like a, a favorite Preds memory? Is it that moment like sitting outside watching that overtime win? Or do you have like something that you hold closer to your heart than that? That was a pretty cool one. Um, favorite Preds memory, man, sweeping the Blackhawks was pretty great especially because they haven't made it to the playoffs since so we can say that we broke the blackhawks i love that (laughs) i absolutely love that um but i you know being in being in the arena in game three um we were so the first two games as a refresher for you guys were both like one nothing games i'm pretty sure uh pecorine had two straight shutouts against the blackhawks that was the whole joke was that the Blackhawks whole thing is one goal, the cup. So everyone was making the joke that the Blackhawks have played the Preds for two games and don't have one goal. And Pecorine had an assist. So he actually had more points than the Blackhawks did in those two games. Like that was the whole joke going around it. So obviously they're pissed coming into the arena and they dominated the first, first period in kind of the second period, I don't remember when we started building the lead back, but going into the third period, I'm pretty sure we were down. It's either 0-2 or we were, it was a two-goal deficit. I don't remember what the score was, but we tied it up and we went into overtime. And then Kevin Fiala, I think it was his rookie season, um, does like a wraparound move to score the game winner. And I'm this is where I'm top of the balcony looking down on this goal. So I get to see him come around and throw it in. And in that moment, I'm, that was just, I I've never lost my voice so fast in my life. So do it. I think that was a really cool moment to be able to be there for that. Um, being there for Shea Weber's return game after he'd been traded to Montreal. So his first game back in Nashville was really cool. Cause they did like the whole 
crowd just starts chanting, thank you, Weber. And then yeah. he scores against us and everyone still gets up and applauds. Like that was really cool. Um, and then I got to be there for, you know, Pecorine's Jersey retirement and all that kind of stuff. So those are really cool moments to be there, but I would say probably being there for that playoff win or probably again, the, the walking down, like watching it happen at like 1 AM and just sitting outside and seeing it. That was like a, a cool, a cooler story almost, but just a, a fun experience of like, that was the moment where I kind of realized how big this was going to be. It's kind of funny that you, you talk about that season too, because I think this is like a weird fact that like, not a lot of people know, but that season, I think it was 2017, the Preds actually beat the Detroit Red Wings, uh, what, 10 straight wins for home games in the postseason. It was like the first record that was broken in like 20 years, and like it hadn't been done since the Red Wings did it in like 97, and the Preds actually ended up doing it that season in 2017, which was really cool to see too. Yeah, and I mean, we were the 16th seed. Yeah, like we were, we were the last team in, and uh, I don't think, I don't remember how many times, but it's like less than five times that a six, the last seed has ever swept a first seed in any sport, um, and what else happened? I mean, that that also like that was the year we broke the decibel record for loudest arena in yeah. sports history, um, not just hockey. Uh, everyone likes to say we're pumping in crowd noise. It's not, like I said, it's just, it was built for noise. And like I said, it is a bunch of rednecks around the ice. So <sighs> we're just going for it, you know, and the beer stays cold. Yeah. And <laughs> that's another fun thing about Nashville games. Um, Mikey, if you, if you've been, I'm sure you can, uh, well, I don't know if you went, when we played the Islanders, you might not have scored because that's like, what y'all do is you don't let people shoot the puck, but uh, we, you know, whenever we score, they play, I like it. I love it by Tim McGraw. And it goes into a black key song where everybody starts chanting, Hey, you suck. Hey, you suck. We're going to yep. beat the hell out of you and you and you and you and you. And then whenever they announce the goal, um, after the goal is announced, there's a saber tooth tiger, like roar. And there's actually a section that's called Cell Block 303. And it's some of the original season ticket holders who started making these chants. And so say that we've scored three goals on uh, on Ilya Sorokin. They would say that this is now the third goal. They would go, that's one, that's two, that's three. Thank you, Sorokin. May we have another. He shoots, he scores, you suck. And then they start chanting that same goalie name over and over again and then say, you suck. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. So the point I was saying about us being a bunch of rednecks around the ice is that when we score, there's a moment of we uplift our team and then the rest of it is just talking straight shit to yours. They just The whole stadium just chirps the other team. Yeah, and it's funny That's because – what it is. Nobody, I feel like half the team doesn't realize, but if you look in cell in 303, there's a guy who stands up and leads the chant every time. And obviously he's an arena. So like the sound moves in a wave to where you don't hear all of it at once, but people catch in by he shoots, he scores, you suck. So you hear the, 
if I don't know the goalie's name, I'm not going to do the thank you, Sororkin, you know, especially when you've got people who last names like Vasilevsky. If I don't yeah. know that last name, I'm not attempting it around strangers. <laughs> but like, so that's happening. And then by the time we get to he shoots, everyone's like, he shoots, he scores. And by the time it gets to you suck, you hear you suck, like <laughs> loud as fuck. And then the entire place is doing the it's all your fault over and over again. I literally have a tattoo on my calf that is of like a traditional style of the Preds logo with two sticks. And then it has a, a banner across the bottom that says it's all your fault. Like that's like <laughs> the staple one. And then some nights, mainly in the in the playoffs, they'll do like say that we scored. You'll start hearing like Sorokin loser like over and over again. And I mean, that's just it's just a, a stadium wide chirp. Like when David Riddick uh, played for us last season, bless his heart, um, he uh, he on an interview was saying like, yeah, when I played here and that would happen everyone would start saying how much I suck and it's all my fault. And I'm looking around and I'm like, golly, you guys hate me. <laughs> I'm like, you, you just gave everybody more ammo to continue to do it. But yeah, like it's, it's a fun arena for that reason alone. I mean, when, when a team goes on the power play, our guy will say like the, you know, the Los Angeles Kings are on the power play and the entire place goes and they still suck. Like it's just constant. There's something for everything. So it's a very unique experience in the fact that none of most of us don't know what we're looking at, but we're still going to yell at you about it. So, so is, are those, I know we're not necessarily like a soccer podcast, but is that kind of like the same atmosphere for like Nashville uh, FC games too? Ooh, that's, that's a different culture, Uh, (laughs) man, though they have a whole, it's a similar concept in the sense that yeah. you have, you have like a, a an area where if enough of yeah. them are there, they'll yeah. lead, they'll lead the chant. But soccer games, man, that is a different level of passion. Like that yeah. is a they have people bringing drums, yeah, and there's people on platforms with cue cards and yeah, so conceptually similar thing. But soccer is just a different level. Like, it's crazy. It is absolutely – even for Nashville SC, which is in the MLS, which in the scheme of the world is, like, one of the lowest – it's, like, the the worst soccer you can watch, watch. apparently. But it's still just crazy. I mean, it. it, I I actually went to, like, three games. I'd never been to a professional soccer game until we had – you know, Geodis Park is right down the road from my house. And so I got to go to a couple of games, and, man, like – I showed up probably middle of the first half of the first one and I'm just hearing it the whole time. And like, just walking around, it's like giving me like chills as I'm walking around. So I'm like, dude, this is an insane atmosphere. Like it's, it's like nothing else I'd ever seen. And didn't like Judah and the lion, like write their theme song. I don't know if I, that sounds right. I don't know who the, the group is that wrote it, but yeah, I know that it's a team or a band local to here uh, yeah. wrote whatever whatever thing they're using their their walkout song and all that we need orthodox to just write a preds theme song and just get that shit going (laughs) so fun claim to fame for me is my mom actually published the song i like it i love it by tim mcgraw so i have a connection there which is pretty neat but um yeah i mean that's 
bucket list for me is to end up either on the NHL soundtrack or just have our song played in the arena at any point. I don't, you can do it without the vocal track. I don't care. I, I just want to be played in there at some point. I'm like 99% sure that the guy that curates all the EA soundtracks is in Nashville. Yeah, he is. Cause he was saying he's a big Preds fan now. Yeah, he oh, is shit. in Nashville. I got to start yeah. making some phone calls then. That's, he uh... was a Rangers fan and then he moved to Nashville. He went to a game in Nashville and he just, became a Preds fan because of how rowdy that stadium gets. Yeah, it is okay. all clicking. Now. I got to figure gonna... out who this guy is. Well, you just got to go back and listen to like episode 70 something of Bar Down Breakdown. <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys know him. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well then I'm going to have to get you to send me his email address. <laughs> cause that also yeah. I got to give him props. Cause this last NHL, this last Chell uh, playlist is great. Yeah, it's kind it's of back to its good. glory. Yeah, it's it's one of the best they've had probably in five or six years. I would say, yeah. I mean, what's funny is I actually, um, so Every Time I Die is one of my favorite bands. Um, and they played in Nashville at the venue, The End, that I was talking about. That's like the perfect layout. It's a small, like, 250 cap room. I actually played two shows there. Nice. And um, so I, we hung out a bit. Uh, what was fun with this one was my buddy who was promoting the show, same night as WrestleMania, parked his car, backed up to the venue, and had a big screen where we could play WrestleMania for anyone who wanted to watch. And Andy, uh, who is now a wrestler, he's a professional wrestler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he was out there hanging out. And so I started talking to him. And I was like, hey, I was like, it's really cool that you guys, they were on like, uh, they had a song that was on NHL 15 or something like that. I was like, that was really cool. Uh, how did you guys end up getting on that? And he was talking about how we, originally he was trying to get it to where somebody uh, in the stands would be wearing a violent gentleman shirt. But instead, they're like, what if you just give us a song from your band? And so he said that the way that he wrote the song, um, I'm going to look this up while I'm talking so people can look it up themselves. But he uh, he said the way that he wrote the song was he went to hockeyfights.com and uh, just watched hockey fights with a guitar in hand and just tried to like write a score to uh, what a hockey fight would sound like if it was on guitar. And hold on. It's the song El Dorado is what it's called. That's wild. I yeah. Now knowing that backstory, I got to see if that if he nailed it. He kind of did. It's like it. It's the one that starts off with like that. Like it's it's very saloon bar fight sounding. Like it's it it, it hits the nail on the head. Good shit. Yeah. So I I guess since we're talking like crossovers and whatnot and how you would love to get on an NHL soundtrack. Do you guys have any like Preds inspired Orthodox merch? We did. Uh, we've done it twice. So we've okay. done this logo here. Um, one time we did it just like on a pocket and then the back just had it bigger and it said Orthodox Nashville. But in 2020, while we were on the road, um, a real big tornado kind of ran through East Tennessee yeah, And so we ran that same shirt, just big as hell on the front. It just said Orthodox Nashville. And we ran that as like a charity to 
give the funds to like a relief fund for East Nashville that got hit really hard. So we've done that a couple times. Um, I would like to do it again down the line somehow. Um, I'm really the only guy in the band that really likes hockey uh, or sports for that matter. Um, but we'll, uh, I, we're eventually going to do another hockey Jersey. I wish we could do one that was like a Preds rip, but like, I don't particularly want to print these colors because I don't think anybody <laughs> would buy it. Uh, so at, at some point we'll have something else that's hockey related. I know that for sure. Just don't do the Orlando solar bears. So Orlando we got a solar bears. We, so we have an <laughs> ECHL team called the Orlando solar bears and, um, okay. Same same concept. We wanted to do something that paid like homage to the uh, the solar bears, and it's basically just like a polar bear with sunglasses. Yeah, on I'm it. looking it up right now. Those jerseys are sick. So we uh we didn't want to do the turquoise and the white. We wanted to change it up a little bit because we we wanted to avoid a cease and desist as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did it in the in the Chicago Blackhawks Winter Classic colors, like the black and the white. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like looking around. I'm like, I don't have it near me, but uh, we had it only for the band for the longest time. Like only like we had five of us and we all had uh, custom jerseys that were all made and we all had our names on it. And people kept asking us, oh, like, are you ever going to sell them? So we said, no, I don't think we're going to make it. So with with this last album release that we did, the label was like, hey, if we have a hookup for hockey jerseys, would you want to do it? I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I said, people really like this design. If we can just do this design, um, we'll and just put a generic, like 22 for like when the album came out and just put our name on the back, let's do it. So someone tagged the ECHL in a post and they were just like, Oh, we should get the Jacksonville Iceman on this. Cause that's like our rival team. And, uh, within five days, we got a cease and desist letter in the mail and the label got a cease and desist letter in the mail. And Mikey that's, got a cease and desist letter in the mail. <laughs> that sucks because the ECHL is just small enough to where they'd give a shit. Yeah. There's like, no I don't think reason. the Preds would care. I don't. I can't imagine they would give a shit. Like, like that's such small potatoes. For the Bruins, uh, fucking Newfound Glory did it with the Panthers. Like, Yeah, I. that's hilarious. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> You should do the uh, – I'm looking at the one they've got that looks like it's an Orlando Magic rip. Oh, I have one of those ready to go. Those are sick. I have an Orlando Magic design ready to go. Let me see. I might have it on me really quick. I can show you guys. Yeah. I'll, the, I'll just show it to everybody who who might want to watch the uh, the video version of the podcast too. Yeah, give, give them a treat for for tuning in this, this far in too. Yeah, so <laughs> it's uh, – yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's our Orlando Magic one that we've been sitting on for a little Dude, bit. Yeah, you need to put that on. Hold on. Let me let me get out of my full screen so I can send you exactly what I'm looking at. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but just to be clear, uh, it's actually bardown.com has oh, this. Oh, uh, that's pretty funny. Has this picture? Oh, one hundred percent. Dude, have you you had you not seen those yet? Have you not seen those? No, before? really, those rock. Those, those are two rock. Holy logo. cow! <laughs> That's what you got to do. The Star Wars gotta... ones, and I've seen the Disney ones that they've done, but I've never seen the the magic ones. That looks 
amazing. You should hit up, um, oh, what are they called? It's golden. It's, uh, oh my gosh. Old Coast? What is their? Coast to Coast? No, there's a there's a company that does bring hockey back custom merch. They do custom merchandise for everybody, like everything you see from Drain, where it's like all the custom stuff is from them. Oh my god, what are they called? I literally I'm looking through my email right now. Hold on. Gotta have those merch hookups. He's gonna say truly. I'm not going to find it. It's okay. Though. <laughs> There's, I have too many emails at this point. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that's one of the designs we came up with that years ago. We've just, we've just been sitting on, I think we just did like a couple stickers and, and people were just like, are you ever going to print this? And we're like, uh, I don't know. Ever since we got that season. Dude, I partner. totally forgot that I have. Yeah. You actually, have the sticker <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> on my external hard drive. I'm just like sitting here. I'm like, I feel like I've seen that before. Yeah. Also, the company's called Gold Set. Gold Set. Gold Set. Yeah, they they do amazing work. Everything that I've seen from them, they do. I mean, they do it for a ton of people. But like, we hit them up to. We've been working on like a different hockey jersey design that we're gonna take on the store, but we just didn't get the design where we wanted it, and I didn't want to try to rush it. Um, But yeah, Gold Set merch is where you should go to get those made. They'll they'll knock those out the park. Oh, they have that corn basketball jersey. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's sick. <laughs> and they have well, a system of a down soccer jersey. Oof. Mm-hmm. Justin's got got his I got eyes some on homework it. to do. Yeah, you got some homework to <laughs> there do. There you go. You make you can make little side bags that have that exact like do a little side bag that has the the pinstripe down oh. uh, down the face and then have that logo across it. I saw that. I saw that they're doing the, the fanny pack and the side bags. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pitch this to the guys tonight. There you go. We're going to have new merch now. You're, you're welcome. Adam <laughs> <laughs> from Orthodox sent us over here. Yeah, that that's funny. Well, dude, I, I truly appreciate you hanging with us. And I, I know you probably have a million and one things to do before you head out for over a month with Gideon and doing, is it Full U.S. or mostly mm-hmm. East Coast? Full U.S. So all four corners, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of prep that you have to still do. So I appreciate you jumping on last minute and hanging with us. Yeah, and if if the tour is coming close to you, definitely go and check it out. You know, this is coming out probably in March. So is, where would you said the tour ends in Nashville? So like by the Marchish time frame it's probably uh, back on the east coast at least i don't think so i think we start in florida and kind of go up the east coast and then we okay basically wrap around and hit the midwest and then do the northwest and then wrap back around the west coast on i'm pulling up my uh tour dates now what yeah, day did you say this is coming out in theory yeah, like march 7th 8th 8th we'll be in california okay so if you're nice. tuning in from cali definitely catch a, a, a date that's close to you and uh you know wish you the best and safe travels you know some sometimes weather can be a little weird in february and march so just safe yeah. travels and that's definitely uh wish you the to. best and 
hopefully uh, the Preds can can get into the playoffs this year, and hopefully the Islanders, you know, they just made hey a, a big blockbuster trade on Bo Horvat, baby. That's a I was talking yeah. to Harold from from Koyo about he was like not stoked on it because he gave up a prospect. I was like, if you guys resign him, which you should, we just did, yeah, yeah, I saw, got announced yesterday, yeah, like eight by eight or something like that. Yep. Yeah, huge. That's we that's Koyo one two episodes ago too, or three episodes yep. ago. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be. I think that's exactly what you guys need. Yeah. The only issue is that every other team uh, in the Eastern Conference is a behemoth this year. So <laughs> it's a matter of can you beat Boston is pretty much where it's at. Unfortunately, I, Bolts just beat Boston. So. <laughs> Today, well, before that, though, the other like I think it was like last week they just beat them. Hmm. Dude, well, they only have seven regulation losses. It's That's it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah, they they've got set. They're only really the the Hurricanes are really close to them in the standings, but it's even a little bit like not all the way true, just because they've just been on like a rager of like seven straight or something like that. But like, yeah, Boston is. It's I my secondary team is the Leafs. So I'm like hesitant to say that the Boston Bruins are going to win the cup, but like, I don't know who, especially with like the motivation of like their whole like last dance mentality with their guys. I don't know who, who stops them. It, you know, it's who knows. Sometimes though, you don't want to go hot throughout the season. Like you you can't. And and you mentioned it with, with the Preds getting hot and being the eight seed and then going on a deep run. Like, it's all about timing, and, and sometimes if you if you're hot throughout the whole season, man, you, you just lose a little juice, and it's it's hard to maintain it. It's such a long grind of a playoff, man. Yeah. I, I think it's harder, the hardest one of any sport. I just I remember say, the Tampa winning the President's Trophy and then getting swept by Columbus in the first round. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was we we won the President's Trophy. We beat a much more inexperienced Avalanche, but then the next round we went. We lost to Winnipeg. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely very hard to do, but it wouldn't surprise me if you suddenly have some LTIR show up for the Bruins. Now that they're kind of locked in, like, oh, we're, we could lose every game from here on out and still make the playoffs. Like, why not? You yeah. know? So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Patrice Bergeron needs to rest, you know? Well, we just lost seven one to the Panthers, so I feel great. Who's who is your team? <laughs> Tampa. Oh, oh. Well, Panthers are also a team that is should be doing a lot better than they are. Should so. be doing, yeah. But we just we we won. We beat Boston. Then we beat the Kings. Then we just get trounced by the fucking Panthers. Yeah. Not How do ideal. you feel about that? About that that rivalry? Do you are you a big fan of the the Battle of Florida now? Um, it's funny because I grew up in Miami. I was there when the expansion happened. Um, and then I moved up to Orlando and ever since I've been, ever since like 2004, I've just been a Bolts fan. I don't know what it is. It's, I went to my first game then. And then, uh, it's funny. Like one of my close friends, he's a, um, Dave Courtney, he's, he does all the video for the Panthers and he got us into all these Panther games for free when I was living down there. And, um, I don't know. I just it was just a different feeling being in Amelie than being in the BB and T center. And oh yeah. 
just that feeling overall was just like I, I'm a Bolts fan. Like this is sure. what I want to do. Um, but it's it was cool kind of seeing the Panthers on that run last season and seeing that the rivalry last year was great. Uh, being in Orlando is great because all the preseason games against you know Tampa and uh, Florida, they're always playing in our stadium yeah. where the Magic play. So I catch that game every year, and it's just always a blast to go see it. Yeah, I also will say game one of Florida-Tampa in 2021, probably the most fun game of hockey I've ever yeah. watched. That was – if there was anybody who had never watched a game of hockey and that was their first time watching it, they are probably a fan now. Like that was the most entertaining on every ass or every facet of the game. That was amazing. And I think like, like – and I'll, I'll like I know like we'll 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 like kind of end it there, but I think one of the the coolest parts about that whole series was we ended the series, the we ended the season playing Florida, mm-hmm. and then we started the playoffs yep. playing Florida. So it was just a never ending just battle between both teams, and it was just a really cool thing just to see. And like they were just still pissed at each other for the end of the oh, season. Yeah. And they just took it right into the playoff game. Especially because you have a bunch of Russian jerks on the bolts who just get <laughs> under their skin. But Worth it. Absolutely. Hey, you got your cups, so nobody can tell you shit. <laughs> I saw th- I've seen three in my lifetime. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good if we don't win another one. Yeah, yeah screw I, I you. Can, yeah, right. <laughs> I've, I've seen us play for one, and that was about it, so... Don't even got that. So <laughs> <laughs> screw you guys. <laughs> so the perfect way to leave it. Screw yeah, there we go. Guys. All right, cool. Yeah. yeah. Screw, screw you guys. You, guys. Uh, <laughs> you know. All right. We'll we'll be in touch, man. I appreciate it. Everyone that's, go check out that's how we do it. tour. Yep. And that's bar down breakdown for you. Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. See you guys.